Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to feature my recent conversation with Tyson Bell. Tyson is a Global Executive MBA format student in our class of 2020, and he is also a physician and a founder. Tyson and I recently sat down to talk a little bit more about his background, why he decided to pursue an MBA, and why he feels an MBA and MBA training is particularly relevant for doctors and medical professionals. We even found time to talk about his recent startup that Tyson co-founded with his classmate and friend of the podcast, Tim Harvey. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tyson Bell. Tyson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brett. It's um, surreal to be here. It seems like I just met you last week, and uh, now we're getting towards the end of my time here in the executive MBA program. So um, I really thank you for inviting me here. Yeah, if it feels surreal to you, it feels surreal to us, absolutely. I'm always struck by how quickly people move through this program. Um, from start to finish, it feels like a real blur. I can only imagine it feels that way oh, yeah. to you. Yeah, kind of all things at once. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I have looked forward to this because I've actually talked with uh, your partner in crime, so to speak, uh, Tim yes. Harvey, uh, earlier on the podcast about the startup you're working on and wanted to get your perspective on it. Also, I just think you're a really interesting person and want our prospective students to hear your story. So oh, thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, what's your background and what what are you doing currently? Sure. So um, I'm currently a critical care and infectious disease physician, and I practice at the University of Virginia. This is my third year there now. And, um, and most of the time in clinically, I'm in the ICU. So I take care of patients that are critically ill. That means they have medical conditions that are a threat to life or limb. So I work frequently with people that are um, at the end of their life or I'm trying to reverse a process that could be going on. Um, I also work with, um, a, a team of people who take care of uh, people with infections. Um, that may or may not be critically ill. And that's my clinical footprint. I'm on faculty at the University of Virginia. And then after that, I have a slew of other sort of roles. So I'm the assistant director of the medical ICU. So I work on quality initiatives there, trying to make sure that we deliver the best care to every patient that comes through. I'm also a physician co-lead on the Mortality Coalition, and this is the hospital-wide effort at UVA Health to make sure that we're preventing preventable death and that every patient um, has a uh, the highest quality care that we can give. Um, I'm also a physician lead for the Sepsis Coalition, and sepsis is when the body has an infection that's so profound that the body's response to the infection is actually um, detrimental uh, to health. And there are certain things that hospitals are supposed to do to prevent and treat sepsis, but they're hard to do because hospitals are complicated environments. And, um, and my job is to make sure that we're adhering to national guidelines and doing what we're supposed to do. In addition to that, I'm a f- elected physician representative for the hospital staff executive committee. This means that I represent the physicians and a few other providers when the executive committee in the hospital has meetings to discuss strategic initiatives and budget priorities and quality of care. Um, I direct a summer program for underrepres- underrepresented students in college who want to become physicians. This is a six-week program at U- University of Virginia. And I benefited from a similar program, and um, I started that maybe a year ago. And then I'm a co-founder of Alpeak Labs along with Tim Harvey. Um, we're about eight months in now, and that's been an incredible ride. We'll talk about that later. And then lastly, I'm husband to an opera theater 
uh, performer and have two kids, Elaine and Ruby, who are six years old and 21 months old, and we live in Charlottesville. So that kind of sums it all up. So nothing else going on in addition to your MBA program. No, no. Every now and then I get some sleep and get get to the gym. So um, what drew you to be a physician? Uh, I'm always curious about people's uh, career arcs. And did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? I actually did from a a very early age. Um, So my story goes back to Lynchburg, Virginia, where um, I – I basically grew up. I was born in Boston, but I moved to Virginia when I was two years old. And I was a sick kid. I had uh, very bad asthma. And I received immunotherapy, which are allergy shots to try to train the, the body to recognize an allergen as a friend instead of a foe. And this involved going to the doctor's office two, sometimes three times a week. And I got regular exposure to the, the office and talk to physicians and nurses. And I remember telling them, I must have been five or six years old at the time, I told them I wanted to be a doctor. And um, and they fed the beast, so to speak. So they bought a white coat that was my size, and they kept it at the office. And when I showed up, they put that on me. They had a little stethoscope for me. I would go around with the, the nurses and doctors seeing other kids who uh, may have been upset or crying because they were going to get shots. Um, but I would talk with them and sometimes examine them. These were before the, the HIPAA days and, and, um, and patient protection. Uh, but uh, and they called me Dr. Bell. I had a name tag. So uh, they kind of kept this dream going for several years when I, I visited them. Uh, but they assumed that I would become a physician and enabled me to have that dream. Um, I grew up in an area in Lynchburg that was economically depressed, and I did not have a lot of physician examples, uh, certainly not none in my neighborhood. And um, it's easy to lose a dream like that if you don't have positive reinforcement that comes from somewhere. And I got that in the form of going to my physician's clinic where um, they knew me and they, you know, helped me realize that dream. And so uh, when I later went to college at the University of Virginia, I explored other avenues just to make sure that it's what I really wanted to do. But at the end, I felt that being a physician was just a fantastic combination of of humanity and science. Um, there's really uh, no two days in my life that are similar, and whether they involve taking care of patients directly or thinking about how to take care of better patients. Um, the startup that I'm in is thinking about how to you know, uh, you know, lead a paradigm shift in how patients are taken care of and, and close gaps and improve care on a more global and national scale. Um, you know, these things are um, makes the day really interesting, very challenging, and I get to work with an incredible group of people on a day-to-day basis. And that, that's what really drew me to, to um, becoming a physician. Did you ever know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Uh, that was never the plan, um, which is um, very interesting. Um, Connie Dunlop is one of our professors who uh, teaches the professional advancement course, and she's also uh, one of the professors, one of the many professors actually that are held in really high regard. And I remember um, taking her course, and she really challenges you to think about, you know, what are your big long-term goals? What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? And um, I came into Darden um, knowing that I wanted to uh, get hold of another skill set that could prepare me to think about how to use my skills as a physician and deploy them on a larger scale and have a larger impact. 
Um, I thought and um, assumed that that would be through uh, staying where I was and kind of doing the same thing that I was doing, but being prepared to move up to that higher level there. Um, but the thing that uh, Professor Dunlop taught us is that we can't schedule our opportunities and we never know uh, what we don't know. So doors open up and opportunities come and they may not be the most convenient time, but they're still really good opportunities. And uh, Tim approached me around this time with an idea of starting forming a startup that could have a really large impact on um, improving uh, cancer screening outcomes and, and improving care and saving lives. And I remembered to myself uh, back in Lynchburg, I was in middle school. I grew up in a household with three generations of women and one of them, my great-great-grandmother actually, um, who was my best friend who died of colorectal cancer. She died at home and I remember being there that evening and um, and, and having the funeral service come to get her. I sat on the stairs um, crying, still, you know, knowing that I want to be a physician. And I thought to myself, you know, at some point later in life, I need to do something to make situations like this better. Uh, my grandmother did not like going to physicians. Um, she was concerned about the cost of, of care, um, what may happen with a, a diagnosis that could turn the, the, uh, you know, the life of her family around. And so she never got screened for it. Colorectal cancer is a preventable cancer if you, go to get it screened, but, you know, about a third of people in our country don't get screened. My grandmother was one of those. And she passed away um, from a, essentially a preventable cause uh, because of the cost of care and inconvenience. And I remembered this story when Tim approached me and said, man, you know, I, I sure have a lot that's going on right now. And I'm having a good experience. I'm a full-time student. I um, have a full-time job. But this is an opportunity to really take a step back and live that dream of having a substantial impact on care that I had when I was that little boy sitting on the stairs grieving for my grandmother. Um, and, you know, why wouldn't I take that shot? You know, why wouldn't I, you know, you know do this? And uh, then my time at Darden gave me the courage to step outside of my comfort zone and, and go down this entrepreneurial journey. So we've had a few doctors come through the program at this point, and I think one of the consistent themes just from talking with them, both on the podcast and as part of the application process, is that they've cited that the uh, business of healthcare is changing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, their right. their medical training is is in many ways insufficient for the kinds of roles they aspire to. Uh, the ways in which um, the practice of medicine is evolving and, mm -hmm. and evolving rather quickly and right. in an uncertain direction. And I don't think anybody quite knows where it's going to land five, ten years from now, what right. it's going to look like. Was that part of the motivation for you uh, in terms of thinking about coming back to school, getting an MBA? Was there something else on your mind? I think so. Um, along the way, when I was in my medical training, um, I noticed that I did ask questions about uh, quality of care and business-related issues that I, I, I could not get answers from from my uh, mentors. So, for example, when I was a trainee, we had a national shortage of a medicine that we use to treat patients with alcohol withdrawal. And uh, many of my um, resident colleagues would just say, okay, we have a shortage and, you know, we'll just find the next thing and, and kind of, you know, make it through. And I asked, well, why is there a shortage? Who's the company that makes this uh, medication and, and why, why aren't they making it? And is it an issue uh, with, um, 
you know, the margins that they make from the product or is there a, a disruption in the supply chain and what's behind that and what are the other alternatives and how can we prevent this in the future? Um, I noticed that I had those questions um, all the way through, really. And when I had a chance to uh, be a, a chief resident at Mass General Hospital, and this is um, where you take a, a role in education and, and hospital leadership, I noticed that physicians and, and other professionals in the room at the higher levels of hospital leadership were really having a business conversation in the context of healthcare. And they were using terms that I, were, that I was unfamiliar with. And I decided that at some point, I needed to get the skills to translate between those two worlds because from a physician point of view, um, most doctors just want to be able to take care of their patients and have everyone else leave them alone. Um, you know, don't tell me how to do my job um, and, you know, I'll provide the best care. But the reality is medicine is very complex. We, we're dealing with insurers and, and, and pharmaceutical companies um, different sorts of payers, whether private or government, and in a very complicated supply chain. And in order to deliver the best care to patients, needs to have an understanding of these skills. But the issue is when hospital leaders who are not always clinical providers come into the room to talk to physicians, and I've been on this side before, they come in in a suit and they have a clipboard um, they have a fancy MBA, but they haven't been on the clinical world at all, and they're not trusted because from a physician or a nurse practitioner would say, you don't take care of patients. You don't understand what we're going through. Um, you have uh, you have no right to tell me how to do my job. Um, on the business side and, and management side of the hospital, the physicians are, are uh, they're, they're in mutiny. They don't listen, and they just want to do what they want to do. And like most things in life, when there are two extremes, the truth is somewhere in between and both sides are really wrong. And physicians who had MBA training or, or business training had the ability to translate between those two different worlds. So I envision myself as being a leader in healthcare that you know, first and foremost understood taking care of patients and delivering the best care, but knew how to step outside the box and think about how to solve larger problems and figure out how to deliver care to patients um, in a more system-wide system fashion and use the skills and learnings from the business world and even other industries in order to inform those decisions. And uh, since I enrolled in the program, uh, I found that to be uh, exactly the case, that what I'm gaining from studying other industries and uh, taking back to um, – the room where we discuss hospital quality or even to my physician rounds, um, the MBA kind of lives through uh, what I do on the hospital realm. So one of the questions that we started asking recently on the podcast, because it seems like it's on every prospective student's mind, is about timing. Mm -hmm. There's no perfect time. How did you know this was the right time or a better time for you to come back to school? You already mentioned, as we started the conversation, the many things on your plate, um, some professional, some personal, and obviously you're thinking about adding school to the mix. So right. how, did, how did you resolve that? Yeah. it's um, Ultimately, I decided that um, at some point, it's only going to get worse. Um, um uh, yes, I'm extremely busy, but um, I had uh, young kids who were not in elementary school yet. 
Um, I had, uh, my wife was uh, a stay at home, but soon to enter the workforce when they entered school. And though I was juggling uh, many things at one time, um, I did have the capacity to add another program in. Um, I'd spoken with a few physicians who had done the program. We have kind of relatively unique sort of situations where um, a lot of us have jobs that require extended uh, weekend hours, overnight hours. Um, sometimes I spend an overnight in a hospital. So it can be really um, um, hard to think about how do you schedule that in. Um, but what I learned through the admission process is just how flexible the faculty is in a school is and working with people who you know, have careers in our um, and have families and have have jobs and have to fit this in. So um, having seen and spoken with uh, people that you actually put me in contact with uh, gave me the confidence that, you know, it doesn't seem like a, a perfect time. But as Professor Dunlop said, you can't schedule your opportunities. Um, what I've learned is that um, going through school is very different as a working adult than it is as um, when I was in my early 20s or so. Um, so now um, I'll give you an example. It's finals week, uh, but um, and I'll be working on that, but I also have to go home at 2 o'clock to take care of my children because my wife is going to a rehearsal. Um, she's singing in a concert over the Christmas time. Um, I have a conference call slightly before that where I'll meet with a potential investor uh, to talk about investing in the company. Um, I do want to go to the gym later today because um, having, uh, you know, keeping healthy is also a part of staying, you know, emotionally well. And luckily my gym provides childcare. So I'll drop my kids off at the gym. I'll do a little bit of a workout. Uh, shower and then work a little bit on my final exam. And so the day is, uh, can be varied and, you know, there can be a lot of things going on. But in the end, um, you gather the confidence from your classmates and the help that you, that they provide you at times really gets you through. Um, so the study guides that my classmates and I have gotten together, um, and the fact that our tests are open book and the teachers uh, let you uh, be flexible with how you take your exams uh, really lets Darden integrate into your life better than just being an obstacle. It just feels more like another thing I have to do, but it's the most flexible thing of all the things that I do. Your point about uh, it's not going to get any easier in terms of trying to fit this into your life uh, resonates. I think a lot of people say that. Uh, typically, the older you get, the more complex your life will get. Uh, you have even more obligations, more commitments. And, you know, we always talk with respect to students about taking little steps mm -hmm. to engage with the idea of coming to Darden or getting an MBA, whether it's schedule a phone call or come for an in-person meeting or a class visit or a networking event, talk to a current student, talk to an alum, just little things for you uh, to check in with, all right, am I still interested? Mm -hmm. Is this still something I want to do? And at some point you get to the application process. But again, that's still part of the investigation. You're not right. really committing to anything at that right. point. You're, you're really just finding out what your options are and, and seeing what's out there. So uh, staying in that sort of exploratory posture, even as you sort of investigate all of this and take concrete steps towards applying, I think, I think that's what we encourage people to do. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned about your classmates right. helping. And uh, this is also one of the things that I hear from current students and alumni quite a bit, um, that nobody gets through this program alone. And uh, everybody relies on teams, uh, small groups, 
uh, classmates to help manage the work and fill in gaps and all these kinds of things. I wonder um, what that's looked like for you in the program. Yeah, so um, I, I can speak to this uh, very well because as a physician who spent most of their time learning how to take care of patients, um, I just did not have a lot of the skills that are used in industry. So I leaned heavily on my classmates. And, um, and not only did it help in you know, just getting through the classwork, but just, uh, you know, talking about the company and the startup. Um, uh, my classmates have been really instrumental in getting us off the bat. Um, so right off uh, from the from the get-go, we needed a website and we needed to have a logo. Uh, one of our classmates did that for us um, at an extreme discount. Um, several classmates reviewed our slide deck and gave us good suggestions on the business plan. Several professors have helped us formulate our strategy. Um, executive assistant that we hired was a contact through one of our classmates. Um, our advisory board member that we um, brought on maybe about two months ago was introduced to us through a classmate. Um, the lifeblood of Alpeak Labs is orange and blue. And, uh, and I can't uh, express how helpful my classmates have been. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, the other is um, the intention around learning how to depend on others because uh, leadership in leading organizations or, you know, leading, leading rounds in the hospital is very different now in that the skills that people have are, are extremely varied. And in order to be an effective leader requires that not only that you have a level of competence, you know, the, the mantra around here is no enough to be dangerous. But you also need to know how to rely on others. And that requires a degree of awareness of knowing what your blind spots are. And the curriculum, the leadership curriculum has been very intentional about um, training yourself to learn where your blind spots and weaknesses are, but then to learn to embrace those and not let them feed into your perception of your self-worth. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, when I lead rounds in the hospital. It's a multidisciplinary group of people. Um, so I'm the attending physician. I'm the designated leader of the team. And I have a, a slew of people below me in various degrees of training in the, in the medical field. So medical students who are learning how to be physicians, resident physicians who have graduated from medical school and are kind of doing their first years learning to be a, a doctor, and then fellows who have uh, or are doing subspecialty training ultimately to replace me in the ICU as the leader there. And then combined with that are nurses, nursing leaders, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, um, a whole slew of people that are gathered around to take care of, of a patient. When we do our morning rounds, we all come together to discuss the morning plan. And typically the resident will present the plan to me and, um, and I'll, you know, give my recommendations and we'll figure out, you know, how to take care of the patient for the rest of the day. The leadership curriculum really taught me that in order to effectively take advantage of the human capital that I have around me, I had to make myself vulnerable and make it known that um, I needed help. So what does that look like? Um, it looks like turning to every different member of the team and saying, you know, do you have any concerns about this patient? And, and moving on to physical therapy, do you have any concerns? To the nurse, do you have any concerns? The first thing that does is lets them know the, the, the people helping us on rounds that I value their input and that I want to hear what their concerns are. 
Second, it sets an example for the rest of the team who are learning how to be physicians that this is an important part of taking care of a patient, getting input from people who have a different skill set, nevertheless contribute, but may not feel empowered to do so. But then the third thing that it does is empowers people to speak up later. So I've noticed that later in the day, and we've kind of broken and we're kind of getting through the, the normal work of the day, if something happened with the patient or the clinical status changed, um, the person who I designated on rounds to speak up and gave protected space to would have a much lower threshold to come to me later. So frequently people will come to me and say, Tyson, I, I feel like there's a cons- I, I'm concerned about this patient in one way or the other. I'm not quite sure, but I want to just bring it to your attention. I feel like if I ran a top-down hierarchical um, you know, I'm, I'm the leader and you do what I say, I would not get that input. And ultimately, I would not be able to take care of patients in the best way possible um, because medicine is so complex now that we need to rely on teams. And this is the same throughout different industries. And in order to be able to do your best in your organization, your company, your, your nonprofit, your hospital, it's absolutely, absolutely crucial that you know these lessons and you can apply them. And I feel that the Darden curriculum really emphasizes that part. The things that you will take with you when you leave school um, are the leadership lessons. And I feel that because of the generalized focus um, that that, um, that Darden puts through its students, the reliance on classmates that starts from you know uh, LR1 right from the beginning and you know what develops throughout the curriculum is a really good prep for assuming leadership positions as you move on later in life. Yeah, the um, thing, and I've noted this a few times on the podcast, the thing that I was struck by when I first started talking to people about the impact of the Darden experience is they talked a lot more about the interpersonal piece, the leadership development piece, than they ever talked about accounting or marketing or mm-hmm. operations. And I think that's really maybe twofold. One, it's where people are in their careers, right? right. Um, yes, you're coming to fill in some technical gaps, but you're moving into management, leadership positions where you're no longer the specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the person who's helping the team really achieve its full potential. Uh, the other, the other piece I think is, um, gosh, just, uh, the way that the program is designed. You think mm-hmm. about the case method. Um, you're constantly learning from other people. You have an opportunity to deepen your, your sort of technical fluency, but at the same time, so much of what you're working on is communication skills and your sort of mindfulness and you're, you're, you're developing a, a stronger sense of your own self-awareness, what mm-hmm. you're good at, what other people are better at, um, you know, where, where your blind spots are. Right. And, and that is um, a very real product of the sort of intentional way that the program is put together. Exactly. And, um, and as a assistant professor and someone who teaches courses, um, I can attest to just how difficult it must be to lead a darting classroom as a faculty member. Um, you can tell that um, there's a lot of intention to being able to go through a case, let the discussion evolve, and really not know where it may go. Um, I can imagine for a darting professor, no two classes are going to be the same um, from class to class or year to year. Uh, the people in the classroom is what makes the diversity of the program unique, but it also makes it somewhat terrifying, I would imagine, because you just never know where the discussion is going to go. And you don't, you, you want to have guideposts. You don't want to uh, direct it uh, because the discussion is more fruitful when it evolves naturally. Um, but 
in order to do that, uh, you have to have an extreme skill set in, in managing the spontaneity and, and kind of know how to direct the class overall. And so the effort that the teachers put in has been phenomenal. And, you know, I've, um, I get teased about how much school I've been in so far, uh, but I can say, without a doubt that the quality of professors here is the highest that I've ever had in my life to the point where we kind of expect a really fantastic teacher and daughter's rated really high for this reason. Um, but uh, the lessons that you learn from them and what you take forward, um, it's really like an investment. And there's a really hard upfront investment that the faculty put into the students. Um, the workload reflects that as we work pretty hard and lean on each other to get through it. Uh, but the payoff in the end is so much better for that reason because uh, so much effort is put into developing every Darden student from the beginning. So glad you, you note the uh, faculty investment because when you talk to the faculty, there's so much prep that they do to get ready for class. Right. Um, uh, had some conversation on the residential side. And sort of, they're obviously prepping across multiple sections to make sure uh, different faculty who are leading each section are kind of hitting the same points. Mm-hmm. So they spend a few hours together as a group doing group work to make sure, you know, sort of collective consensus around what's going to be discussed. They have sort of signposts along the way, 10 mm-hmm. minutes in, I need to be here, 15, 20, kind of plotting everything out, but again, making room for sort of the tangents and the spontaneity. Right. Um, but man, way harder to teach in the case method than sort of a more tr- transmissive lecture-based model where you just come in and say, well, this is what we're doing today, and yeah. I'm in charge of this, and this is what I think is important. Definitely. It's certainly easier to just um, have your PowerPoints and go through them and, and, uh, and class dismiss at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I think something is lost there. So let's talk about Alpeak. Um, as I mentioned, I had a chance to talk with your uh, your colleague, Tim Harvey. Mm-hmm. I wonder what brought the two of you together. Yeah, so um, we were both Gimba format students, which uh, means that we take uh, trips together um, overseas. And, um, and we were both in a Charlottesville cohort and, um, and just noticed that he was a genuine guy. Um, he was interested in people, and we connected right off the bat. Um, we had, um, really bonded and connected in our first global trip to Brazil, um, had a great time there, um, learned a lot, uh, connect with other classmates. And then we had our second trip to China and it was between the second and third trip, um, to Europe where, uh, he approached me to, um, to consider forming, uh, what later became Alpeak Labs. Um, and, uh, and like I said in the beginning, this was never my plan, but man, it's, it was such a good opportunity to um, apply the lessons learned from the curriculum, have a substantial impact, and work with someone who was my friend. And um, and through him, we were introduced to um, a third co-founder, um, Max Quinlan, went to another school. And um, we formed this entity, and you know where there once was nothing – there's now a foreign corporation. Uh, we have an investor and we have a prototype and it's just been phenomenal. Um, when I describe it, it still feels like it's uh, too good to be true. And I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture of entrepreneurship. There's definitely, um, you know, a lot of problems to solve. We call the problems opportunities. Um, but every day presents new opportunities. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a fast-moving, evolving animal that's um, hard to control at times, but it challenges you in ways that um, you haven't been challenged before. And to think that, you know, I entered the program, you know, knowing that I wanted to get the degree, but not knowing which direction I wanted to take coming out of it, 
um, that I probably didn't want to do this thing, but who knows? I'll be open because, um, you know, you want to keep doors open. Uh, but to come out of it having, um, you know, running a company is, uh, is just a, a dream come true. And being able to work on problems that affect people um, on a day-to-day basis. We start our conference calls um, with our, our mantra, which is to revolutionize diagnostic imaging and save lives. And then we give each other compliments on uh, things that went well during the week before we launch into um, you know whatever it is, the, the topic of, of uh, the day. Um, and that constant reminder that, um, that, yes, this is a difficult thing to get through, but we rely on each other and we solve problems side by side. And ultimately, um, you know, we're deepening our friendship. Um, he comes over to my house. My kids love him. Um, and uh, we meet with other classmates and uh, hopefully other classmates will get involved at some point. Um, but it's just been a dream come true. And, uh, and I, I would never in a million years imagine this would be the outcome of the, uh, the NBA. But um, uh, nevertheless, uh, a fulfilling experience, even at this early stage. When we last saw Tim, uh, he was in the midst of sort of kicking off some fundraising. I think he was getting ready to do some traveling uh, and meet with some potential, potential investors. Um, know that things in the startup world can move very, very quickly. Uh, what are you working on right now? Where do things stand? Uh, so right now we've secured our first investor, uh, which is uh, extremely exciting. Um, and we're gearing up for a trip to meet with potential investors in, in, um, in Alabama. Um, I think New York will be hitting – will be um, – you know, a key place to fundraise as well. And uh, Tim will be traveling out to Chicago. I'll join him when I can. And we'll just be hitting the road and telling our story. Um, we're going after colorectal cancer screening, you know, just like it affected my grandmother, um, finding a lower cost way to bring health care, uh, you know, not to the bedside, but to the, the people where they live. Um, lower the cost of screening, make it a simpler process by using infrared technology that um, our inventor has patented um, and really work on closing the gaps so that um, just like what I do in a hospital and trying to prevent preventable death, we do that on a national scale and get everyone who should have colorectal cancer screening or diagnostics done, have a way for them to get that done. And uh, to be able to work on that um, is uh, extremely fulfilling. So um, how do you think that Darden has helped you with the work that you're doing right now, the sort of entrepreneurial endeavor you're pursuing? Well, like I said, the classmates have been extremely helpful. Um, the resources that are available to Darden students is uh, extremely robust. I remember when we were just doing market research and, and trying to figure out how to position a product uh, to competitors – um, I asked a question in the library, and the library uh, researchers, I, f- I forget the name now, uh, but they did a thorough search and sent me back a document that was 350 pages that she got together in two days. Um, and it was extremely robust. And you know, any sort of information that I needed on the industry, the, the growth rates of different sectors, what people were saying, um, uh, it was all there. And I just had to ask for it. Um, we when we um, when we wanted to get advice on what kind of investors to approach um, in the early stage or what sort of financing we wanted to do, we had an entrepreneurial community that uh, we tapped into other students who had started other ventures. Um, just recently on our trip to India, 
um, we held a founders lunch. So um, a bunch of students have started or are or, or thinking about the process of starting companies in during one of the busy downtimes or downtimes in the midst of a busy schedule. We all got together just to discuss what issues were we facing and people with very different sorts of entrepreneurial ventures uh, tended to have a lot of the same problems and seeing how others solved some of the issues that uh, that they had and what direction they think they were taking the company and getting advice from each other. Uh, the flea flow of ideas in the exchange um, was just a, a real organic way to think about, you know, wh- what do I don't want to do with our company? How do we want to position? How should we solve this problem? It's much easier to do that when you can just ask the person next to you, well, what did you do when this happened to you? Um, how do you think about uh, processing this? Uh, that makes it that much uh, more easier to go through, you know, what is a difficult process. So I would say the Darden uh, has been at the beginning, the middle, and at the end of this venture. Um, it started here, it's grown here, and um, and the legacy that Darden's left behind on our company is going to live forever. Well, no, no surprise to our longtime podcast listeners that I am a, a big fan of entrepreneurship. Um, think it's such a natural fit for people who come here. Um, the way that you're taught to think about business problems is with that C-suite enterprise perspective. So if you start your own business, that's just what you've been doing in class the whole time, right? You've been thinking about every problem like you own it. Um, exactly. And uh, so I think it's a it's a very natural fit. I also think there's a certain thing that happens. You take a really talented group of people who've thought a lot about the world in a particular industry and maybe see some opportunities out there. Then you equip them with this education where mm-hmm. now maybe the barrier, I don't know how a business works. I don't know how to run a business, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's gone away. And so why not? You've got all these classmates. You've got access to resources. If you're ever going to pursue a startup, why not right now where you have all of this around you? Exactly. So um, – Tyson, we, we obviously have prospective students that listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, part of you know the goal of this is getting stories out there, also helping students navigate the process um, as they think about you know why an MBA, why Darden, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what advice would you share um, with prospective students listening to this podcast? Yeah, so the, the advice I would share that helped me through is to first and foremost think of Darden as an experience that's uh, centered on the people. And I think to get a, a true feel of what Darden is like, you absolutely have to talk with alumni, uh, with professors, with Brett, and get connected with people who have gone through the experience or are going through it. Sit in on the class so you can actually see, you know, what this experience is like, um, whether it's in the, in, uh, the Ross and Gohort um, or Charlottesville, though. Charlottesville is being, uh, is, will be renovated. Um, but, um, but getting a sense of it is um, hard to describe in literature um, on a website or reading. You can get some sort of a sense in statistics and things like that. But the in-class experience and being here and talking to people is what um, – uh, you know, that's what I think of school now. I don't think of Darden as textbooks and websites and tests. I think of it as um, – I coming together to see my friends during the residencies and, and learning from them and, and setting the foundation for continue learning through them and the connections that we've formed. Um, and it's very different than what I imagined being a student would be, um, just in, in terms of balancing schedules, how I prioritize now and in, in, in what you balance. Uh, but you have to get a sense of it from the people itself. So whether it's uh, talking with Brett or more, more or, or other students or people that have gone through the process, 
um, in coming here and, and seeing the interaction between the students and the faculty and how vested people are in each other, that's when you'll truly get a sense of um, the Darden education. Um, the last thing I'll say is that the investment, uh, again, that the faculty put into you um, really cannot be understated, um, overstated, I should say. Um, it is hard to be a Darden professor and, and to teach classes and to put so much into students, but there's a true belief here that you get what you put in, and much is expected of the faculty because um, a lot comes out of that upfront investment, and Darden has the trust and belief that their students who come out of here um, will be better prepared to be leaders of the future and give back. Well, you make a great point about this this place being about people. Um, the thing that I've been so struck by, the more I've thought about uh, the learning experience, obviously the, the 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 way everything is designed and structured is that this is a very human place to be. Um, it's not just about uh, concepts and topics or buzzwords or however you want to think about it. It is mm-hmm. about coming together, getting a group of people in the room, and all looking at the same problem and all are committed to learning uh, about the problem, learning from each other, sort of sharing perspectives. And so that, that classroom environment, that dynamic, obviously, um, you know, that, that is an incredibly human experience. Uh, you're trying to understand how other people see the world. That's where the real growth and development, I think, is for so many of our students, broadening your perspective in that way. Exactly. We have um, difficult conversations in class at times because we have very different perspectives on many different things. And, and that's a part of the process. One of the things that we learned early on from um, Jim Dietert was um, the assumption of positive intent, that um, if you're here in a Darden environment, that we assume that um, what you say, how you act, and how you carry yourself is uh, with positive intention. So when we have these discussions that are sometimes polarizing topics for the country and the world, race, gender, ethnicity, economic disparity, economic opportunity, and how we structure our political and, and, um, and social systems, um, we cover all of that here, but we're able to have more productive, fruitful discussions because of the assumption of positive intent. So someone who may have a, a controversial statement um, feels free to say that in class, and we feel comfortable responding to that in whatever way. And again, the Darden professor there at, at the head is is uh, letting this conversation evolve, um, but we're able to move through discussions of uh, a lot of challenging issues and come out that much better for it because we can have open and honest discussions with each other. Um, not to say that it's always easy, but um, it's not easy in the real world either. Um, we're in the, in the business environment. And, uh, and just what I've learned from my classmates, I feel, has better prepared me for when these situations come up later in life or in the hospital or um, in a boardroom meeting, um, in an investor conference call. Um, the fact that we've had that experience here in a safe environment where we assume positive intent and worked on these skills and stepped outside of our comfort zone uh, makes us that much better for that effort. Well, Tyson, thank you so much. Uh, I feel like um, we've co- covered a lot of different things. We it talked really about did. the hospital. We talked about your uh, startup. We talked about your home life. Obviously, we talked about the academic experience here. I'm so happy for you and your classmates. You're you're just a few quarters away from graduation. You got a lot lot to look forward to uh, as you. you embark upon the elective period and obviously beyond. Uh, we'll have to have you and you and Tim back on the podcast to talk about Alpeak. Oh yeah, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a great and, day. And thank you for um, for you know, reaching out to me 
uh, I guess a year and a half ago now uh, when I sent an email and, um, and being very open and receptive and, and making sure that I had the information that I needed to make a good decision. So you were very instrumental in having me come here, despite that you're a Tar Heel. Um, I can get over it, uh, especially that we, we won. Uh, recently in a basketball game, but you know that can be another discussion. No, it's always you know we can put we can put put sports and college basketball aside. <laughs> um, I've, I've been around Charlottesville enough to maybe uh, be a little bit quieter about um, yeah. my, my yeah, Tar Heel diversity of opinion. I value your contribution <laughs> to our community. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much, Tyson. Obviously, uh, one of the best parts about this job, and I think this is absolutely uh, true. Any of us who work in admissions will say this: the best part about the job is you get to meet such interesting people and we spend our days much like on this podcast listening to people's stories and their hopes and dreams and aspirations and where they want to go and what they hope to accomplish that's an incredibly privileged position and so um it makes getting out of bed in the morning very very easy i can second that thank you brett thank you tyson and that was my conversation with tyson bell a global executive mba format student in our class of 2020 As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening.